Everybody Relax. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome back to the Everybody Relax podcast facilitated by your local neighborhood social worker and therapist, Trey. Hope that your week has been well and you are staying safe and COVID-free. Um, shout out to everybody who has listened to the last podcast. Like, share, and subscribe and make sure that our podcast is um, booming. Uh, we appreciate you. Make sure that you go check it out on Apple Podcasts, uh, Spotify, Anchor, iHeartRadio, or wherever you like to listen to your digital streaming platforms. Uh, we should be on every platform at this moment. And if not, then please let me know, and I will try to make sure that, that my podcast is on there, man. want to make sure that we're representing everywhere for everybody to print do. Contingent on what you're listening to. I actually would like to get on title. Um, cause that's Jay Z, and I love supporting Jay Z. Um, even though I know he just recently sh- uh, sold a share of it, but uh, about thirty-four to seven share of it. But anyway, um, love to get on title at some point. I just don't know how to go about doing that. So, yo, Jay, you listening? Holla at me, man. So, um, yeah, man, new episode. This is going to be the last episode in the Social Works Career Series. I was going to do, um episode about my current position right now what i do right now but i really want to wait until i finish that position out because i have a little bit more um i think more more context it's kind of hard to talk about it while you're in it um uh, even though this episode is kind of be talking about something i'm in but I, I like to um give it a couple you know once i do end up leaving that position at some point in time um i have a better understanding of my purpose for it and so you know sometimes we get a little premature when we start talking about stuff um because we don't give it enough time to breathe and you know take in what his purpose was in our lives and our purpose for being there at that current moment in time and so you know i have a thought i have a thought and a feeling of why i'm there and what, and what that reason was and some of that is you know um intentional but i just want to make sure that i'm catching and you know capturing every component of it as much as as much as possible so this will be the last one in our social work career series i will add on later on down the road um to it um but this will be the last one we'll do one more episode um before we take a break for the season finale not sure what I'm going to talk about in the last episode, but just stay tuned for that. But um, this episode, we will discuss my time in private practice. I've been in private practice for about three months and um, just kind of want to shed some light on that and what that experience has been so far in the first three months and what things to look for and, you know, what to expect if you're jumping into private practice. And so this will be the private practice episode. But first, before we get into our episode, I want to start with some church announcements. Not many this week. Got a busy week ahead of us. Um, want to make sure you check out the Free Smoke podcast. That's my second podcast with my guys, Keem and um, AJ, or Ace or Alger, as we call them, um, where we kind of discuss about, we, we're still formulating where we're going with it, but more so we're talking about different things that come up in life, definitely as, as men, as black men. And learning how to address it in a simpler form, whether that be from, you know what I'm saying, how to, you know, uh, manage finances, uh, life issues, emotional issues, relationships, you know what I'm saying, what sneakers we like, you know, just a, a mosh posh of like 
different concepts and ideas. You think about all the times that you have conversations with, with like at with the homies wherever you might be at in the basement, at the house, you know, at whatever, just kicking it about random stuff about life. We want to take that, put it into the podcast form, and give some practical sound, you know, information to. And one of my goals of the, the Three Smoke Podcast myself is just to give you guys a additional side that's different from the social worker and the therapist side and the mental health, you know, advocate side. It just, you know, just give some more um, opening to who I am on the other side, even though I do my best here, I feel like to add to that. And so, um, you know, what we, like I said, again, just, and I also with that saying that meaning that still staying true to like taking like complex maybe issues complex you know problems and breaking it down to a simplest form for people to digest and understand it from our perspective um and so hopefully that will reach out to a bunch of different people different areas we all come from different walks of life and so i think it's been a good journey um and we'll have some great content around that so check out the free smoke podcast again that's on apple Podcasts as well spotify anchor and all your digital streaming platforms um, digital streaming platforms with that as well Y'all go check that out. That's the Free Smoke Podcast. Um, back to the two two speaking engagements. Um, March 17th, 9 o'clock with the Anti-Racism Virtual Conference. Uh, I'll be speaking at 9 o'clock on racial equity, fear of the black man. I'll be presenting about that. Shout out to the Deanna Hooper for um, letting me be a speaker for this amazing project. If you want tickets, you can visit. Uh, www.globalsocialwelfaresummit.com and um, get your tickets. I think they're like 35 for students, 55 for um, non-students. Pretty affordable. Uh, I think there's a $10 off coupon code as well once you jump on the site to to get registered and I think that gives you access to most of the speaking engagements from March 16th through the 18th because it's from the 16th through the 18th. I just got the second day. At the same time, if you're a George Mason alum, um, or just in the area want to hear some stuff from some social workers. I was speaking on a panel at George Mason University with the College of Health and Humani- Health and Human Services to their students, faculty members, you know, alumni, you know, about what I'm doing in the field of social work today. Um, that's at 5.30. That's also virtual as well. So y'all make sure y'all go check that out, man. Be a part of that, man. It's going to be a great time. Busy week, busy week, busy week. So I'm trying to prepare for it right now. And by the time you hear this episode, it should be Monday. So you got about 48 hours. Um, third, OG Sneakerhead Chronicles Part 2. That's my little sneakerhead project I'm doing with my homeboys. You know, Kenny Bundy with Lightshot Media. B. Lee with B. Lee Media. Um, and that has been going well. If you um, see that on your Twitter Twitter waves or your Instagram waves, the hashtag is OG. SHC2 follow that hashtag and you'll see all the posts we do about with different sneakers and different people and asking them about their what's their favorite grails and their favorite grails and why they're their favorite grails and grails meaning your favorite sneaker that you have to have and just talking about that and grabbing the community together to come together to take their mind off of issues going on in the world today and lastly what am I currently using that is of benefit to me and that is what you are hearing me podcast on now, which is called the Road Pod Mic. And, you know, I, I chose this mic because I was looking for some new mics. I've been using the same mics for about the past five years, and I wanted a better quality sound for you guys. I wanted to have more crisp, clear audio 
when I'm speaking on my podcast, especially if I'm sitting there talking to you guys and rambling guys for like 45 minutes to an hour. And I also realized that you guys definitely listened to the whole entire podcast. And I was like, that's dope. Appreciate you guys for actually sticking through the whole podcast, yo. And so that means that I have to give you the best listening experience as possible. Um, whether that's me talking in there and then going in through editing, making sure I got all of the different noises outside of that. So I went with the Rode Pod mic. It's a, um, this has been amazing mic, man. It sounds very clear, very kind of like radioish broadcastish, but it just crap gives a clear, crisp sound, man. I love this mic. Um, this mic is a, um, it's not, it's a dynamic microphone by by chance, and so it has that feature where it you have to talk right into it. In order to get the sound quality out versus a condenser mic where condenser mic can pick up everything that's around you, all the little bumps and the noises in the background, just pick up all of that type of stuff. So, you know, if you're in a place where you 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 have you can funnel the sound and you can mask the sound like in a room with your padding and there's a smaller room that doesn't echo, you know, you can use the condenser mic because the, the sound will be more full. Um uh, I mean, so, yeah, the condenser mic. If you go to the dynamic, the dynamic um, will be more centralized location to your actual uh, voice and speaking into the microphone. And it won't pick up all the other sounds around it or what's in the background if you're in a noisy area or if you're in an open room. It's very beneficial in that aspect, um, getting that sound out. So, man, go check that out. And it's only $100. And so that was about the same amount of money I paid for my condenser mics, which I was using Sterling Audio. It's been an amazing mic, man. It's an amazing mic to use. And it's pretty solid. And Rode, if you know anything about Rode, Rode mics, they are pretty, pretty, pretty legit in the um, audio um audio world and so y'all if y'all into podcasting y'all want to start your own podcasting um i am available for questions i may be available at some point to help um mentor um at first i wasn't into that but i might be opening that door up here soon and opening that door up to probably teach a class on how to podcast so stay on the lookout other than that man church announcements make sure y'all protect your chicken and guard your mentals peace What's up, Relax Crew? It's your boy, Trey, facilitator of Everybody Relax Podcast, and I wanted to give you a brief public service announcement to the good folks at Uphold 31.8. They sponsor this podcast, and they're the reason why this podcast actually happens. Listen, if you're looking for a speaker or facilitator for your agency or business, check out Uphold 31.8 and their consulting services. They offer workshops on stress and productivity management, racial and social justice conversations, and even can assist elected officials or state and federal agencies to create new policies around mental health or social issues. Make sure you go to www.uphold318.com backslash SW consult C-O-N-S-U-L-T to learn more information. And also to my brothers who are listening, if you need a safe space to vent and heal, talk about your mental health and what's going on, check out the monthly meetings for black men called the Goodfellas Project at www.uphold318.com backslash goodfellas. That's goodfellas with a Z. All right. Y'all take care and be easy, relax crew. I'll see y'all. All right. So, jumping right into our topic today, um, we are discussing um, social work career series. This part is called private practice. Let me tell you how I stumbled into private practice. I'm a macro <laughs> social worker by trade. 
I'm going to just keep that around. So if you, a lot of people know that I really desperately want to get into the macro space. I have been fighting to get into the macro space and, and hopefully some form, sometime, another, I will be able to get into the macro space of social work and policy. I'm doing it, but I'm trying to get paid for it as well. So <laughs> let's just be honest with you. But, um, you know, I am, um, I'm, I'm I, when I went to social work, I had no intention of going the clinical route. I had no intention of being in private practice. I had no intention of doing any type of clinical work. As you can see, listen to the social work career series, you know, um, I fell into a bunch of clinical positions, um, whether it's, you know, from being a mental health tech, working in crisis services, and then my current position is more, it's more case management based, but, you know, I stayed in these spaces about five years. And um, so, you know, my thought pattern, especially in Virginia, was that, you know, I get the clinical, I get the clinical work, I do that, and then at some point in time, I transition to macro policy side at some point. Because you remember back, I really wanted to get into this field and do the macro work because nobody did the macro work. They always pushed you to clinical. Well, I got pushed to clinical. Now, can't say I didn't learn a lot of macro and meso type of information while working in these clinical spaces. I can't say that. I learned a lot from a state policy standpoint, from a local stop policy standpoint. And, um, you know, it has guided my practice. And so that has made me even uh, stronger in regards to macro world because I can speak from a clinical lens, but apply it and show how it applies to a macro lens and a meso lens, right? So, you know, when I started my position as a, a crisis therapist, you could not, um, they had implemented this new, you know, new program, well, new policy that all crisis therapists in the state of Virginia had to be licensed eligible. Licensed eligible means that you had to be um, getting supervision hours in order to sit for your licensure exam. And when I got hired in August of 2015, um, I came off the MSW thinking that I just needed the MSW. I wasn't going to get my license. I was going to navigate this career space, this new position, um, and sometimes somehow work into policy. And so, you know, when that came out, I was talking to my supervisor. They was like, if you don't get license eligible, become license eligible by December 20. 2015 then we would have to either i would lose my job or i had to be moving move to another position in the agency which probably would have been mental health case manager or therapist or something like that so i was worried because in grad school since i wasn't on the clinical track i was on the policy policy and social policy track which is more your macro based work um i didn't take the last couple of clinical classes I think that was like a psychotherapy class I didn't take. So when that happened and my transcript came back from the Board of Social Work, I got instantly fearful because I was like, oh, man, they about to tell me I'm not going to be able to work this position. I'm about to lose my job already. I just got it. I'm just got out of grad school. I need money. I'm about to get married. All these type of things, right? And so then comes back the board was like you know you you're missing one class i thought i was gonna have to go back and take a class they was like well no nah, you're missing one class you just gotta go back you gotta instead of you doing a 
2,000 um, face-to-face clinical hours, um, you have to do 2,600, right? So if you're sitting for your licensure in the state of Virginia, you got to do 20, you know, 2,000 face-to-face clinical hours and 100 hours of supervision, 50 hours, which is individual supervision, 50 hours, which is, can be group. 26 hours of face-to-face um, clinical hours is nothing in regards to uh, working in crisis because all we do is crisis assessments every single day, 40, 50 hours a week. That's all we do. So that was nothing. So that that was a relief, right? So in the first year, I took my time getting my hours. I wasn't really, you know, pressed on it. I wasn't trying to get my license. I wasn't. wasn't interested in private practice. Private practice scared me. And so um, I ended up, you know, the first year I was just, you know, fly by and doing my thing. The second year I was like, eh, still ain't doing it. And then like maybe like the midway through the second year, I started to take it seriously and said, you know what, I'm going to go ahead and fight for these hours. Well, you know, when you start putting your mind to things, some battles come up sometimes, some struggles, some different roadblocks, and then you had to deal with that. So I ended up, you know, focusing in on trying to get the license because I got to the point where I was maybe like at 50 something hours. and I was like, well, might as well go get it. Talk to my colleagues. Everybody, my colleagues was like, just get the license. If you don't use the license, you still say you got it. You just just even if you don't use it, like just go get it. So I was like, all right, man. Um, even though it costs to register for supervision, right? Like a hundred something dollars. Um, and then you got to pay two hundred something dollars, two hundred seventy dollars to be exact <laughs> for the licensure exam. So when I went to go, so when I pushed for it, right, and I started making a more of a plan, more and being more intentional about actually pursuing the licensure supervision hours, then that's when things was like, all right, I'm gonna go get this license, man. You know what I'm saying? And so with that, you know. The activities, maybe the second year going in, the activities that I was doing, I wanted to expand. And I wanted to try maybe having an outpatient person, but I was like, eh, I'm not here enough. I'm going to do more stuff, you know, in regards to, like, the policy realm. And so, you know, I played into that. I dabbled in that. And then, you know, I took the took the ownership of sitting in on a, a group, um, a co-occurring group, substance abuse and mental health with all men with a therapist there and I was sitting there like once a week and you know I got in there and it was just effortless so the the conversations that I was having with guys about you know their 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 substance abuse use and their mental health and just you know piggybacking and kind of co-facilitating with the um the therapist now I would never lead because I didn't feel like I needed to lead at that point but I was already facilitating different you know workshops on mental health stuff like that at this time and so you know, while I was there and I was driving back home, I had a great session, you know, with one with the guys. And I was like, oh, man, this is this is amazing. And it hit me, you know, God was telling me, you know, like, listen, you'll be a waste of your gifts and talents if you do not sit out here and go get this license. That's what was told to me while I was in my car driving. These are the gifts and talents that I've given you. This is God speaking. Gifts and talents that I've given you. You will be wasting them. And that's a slap in the face to me by not pursuing them by going to get your license. Now, I know everybody's not spiritual, don't believe in God. I believe in God. Y'all know I'm a Christian and a deacon. So, you know, take with, 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 with that what you will. And that's when I really locked in to getting my license, getting my hours. And that's when I said I was going to become 
a licensed clinician. And then that's when my mindset started to shift. That's why I'm making the third year, going into the third year of being there and going into that, that, that job. And so that's when my perspective changed on licensure. I started talking to um, my um, colleagues about private practice, what that looks like, what that entails. I started hitting up different colleagues on social media that I've met that's in private practice, looking at what that entails, what that looks like, what that, you know, feels like, you know. And so in the meantime, taking an exam, I was like, yeah, I'm, a, I'm, I'm committed to doing this private practice. I'm going to do a private practice. I'm going to work with all, all black men. You know what I'm saying? I'm going to, you know, do, do my thing, and then I'm going to, you know, that's what I'm going to do. And so I had built it out. I was looking at spaces, you know what I'm saying? And I was like, all right, by this time happening, this time, December 20, uh, 2019, I'm going to, you know, have it passed. And um, we're going to start therapy sessions, you know, 2019, fall, winter. You know, that's when I failed the exam in September 2019. Then I got into 2020, failed it again. Um, and then just seeing my kind of dreams slipped away and then was like, man, I don't, I don't know what I'm going to do. And, um, you know, ended up, you know, long story short, you know, I passed the exam the following year, um, in 2020. And then I said, I was going to start my private practice. So I had, you know, been talking with, you know, colleagues about the, the process and people were telling me about it and how it looks like and what it starts like, what you need to do here, what you need to do there. And, um, what a process, what a process, right? Um, pandemic hits, of course, while we're in that, we're trying to build a practice in the middle of a pandemic after buying a house, right? And so I'm like, okay, do I want a space? Do I want a not a space? Do I want to be virtual? Do I not want to be virtual? What does virtual look like? And so what's cool with the platforms now due to COVID is that, you know, telehealth is an option. Telehealth is an option, and, you know, most of the insurance companies are recognizing that. And then, you know, everybody's adapting to it. Sure, you know, the electronic health platforms are also adapting to it because now they have added different telehealth features that are HIPAA compliant so that you can meet with your actual um, clients through the telehealth functioning. And mostly, once they set the appointment, then you can, um, it's automatic from the, <clears throat> the telehealth platform does it itself. The EHR does it itself. And so, you know, I looked at it and I said I still wanted to work with African American men. You know, I had to specialize in my population. And boy was I, you know, scared to single myself out with how I do my 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 therapy because <clears throat> you know, I I went back and forth of doing self-pay and taking insurance. It's pros and cons to both. Pros and cons to both. And at the point in time, while I was influenced by my social work Twitter fam, you know, around the the need for insurance to give access to people with who can't maybe afford therapy, but then on the flip side, you know, influenced by a couple of folks on social social work Twitter around the thought of doing private pay, um, and, and making it to the point where it's affordable enough, but also makes me pay my rate. Now I had like three colleagues, three women, um, that I've been cool with. I'm going to leave their names off right now, but they know who they are, who I've consulted with 
during this process, along with my last supervisor that I had, and just telling them what my thoughts were. Um, and one was doing private pay at first, you know, and then doing that and trying to charge, and it was going well. The other one was jumping into part-time private practice, doing insurance. And the other one was taking everybody's insurance. You know what I'm saying? So it was, and then one was had their space, one didn't have their space, one had, you know. And so we was just, you know, a lot of brainstorming, man. And shout out to them um, who have helped me with that process. Um, and uh, to help me with that process to brainstorm on how I do my private practice, what I charge, what I ask for, you know, and how I built it. You know what I'm saying? They were very instrumental in that. It's, it's three main ones. Three main ones. Especially, of course, with my wife. My wife is always the 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 one that's backing me with everything I do. So she's always first, but then there's other colleagues that I have out there. Because she doesn't understand everything that I do. I have to explain that to her. But she, she gathers enough of it to understand it to the point where she can make sure I make an informed decision. Um, and of course I told her she still should be a social worker, but you know what I'm saying? That's the thing. And so either way, right. Wife supported, wife was with it, you know, wife did it. And then, um, my, my three colleagues, that's all black women. They was instrumental in helping me, you know, establish that. And then I had some folks on social work, Twitter, who, who helped me. I DM'd. You know, ask them questions. They had their own self-paid businesses, you know what I'm saying, that that told me. Another one was a black woman on that and a couple of black guys. And then, you know, one of my, even one of the, um my white colleagues, man, he helped me out as well, just giving me different things to think about in regards to how we should build a practice. Should it be all telehealth? Should it be, you know, X, Y, and Z? Some of these folks, some of my colleagues on social work Twitter actually had nothing but a full telehealth practice with self-pay. You know, so, um, and some of them, and they were full time. And so that was, you know, motivational, um, and inspirational in, in, in that aspect as well. So I was like, okay, so shout out to y'all. I'm not going to name it, name everybody. Cause I don't, I don't know how everybody feels about sometimes about names. <laughs> so shout out to my social work, Twitter fam. They know who I talk to about this private practice thing. Um, and who helped me influence me on making a decision to do private pay. Shout out to my three colleagues who are black women who helped me brainstorm all my ideas to get me to this point, right? And were catalysts in helping me launch my private practice because they were doing it and did it before me. Um, and then, you know, just all the specifics, right? And then, of course, my wife because she just, the support from her support helps me do this, all this crazy stuff that I do. Because if I didn't have her support, then I'd probably be doing none of this stuff. <clears throat> so shout out to everybody, right? Shout out to all y'all individually. So when I made the decision to not deal with insurance, because I was reading different ideas around that, I it's not that I can't diagnose, but there's a hesitancy of labeling somebody with a mental illness that may not have it. And I say that to say because I just I have to label you with a uh, some type of diagnosis, some type of ICD code, in order to bill your insurance. Most of that time is going to be like the adjustment disorder, and I just 
I don't know how to feel about that. That was one big catalyst for me. I don't know how to feel about labeling or diagnosing somebody that's going to stay on their insurance for a period of time. And then they may want to do weekly, but from an insurance standpoint, from a medical necessity standpoint, they don't meet the criteria to meet the criteria to do weekly assessments or weekly session mental health assessment, mental health therapy appointments. And then there are times where I and I'm working with like black men and I'm like there are times where I feel like there is no need per se for therapy versus wellness or some coaching. And there's a blended aspect. And this might be completely radical or off base from everybody what they're doing. But I see there's a continuum from therapy to coaching to wellness. And the only reason I seen that is just with working in the fields that I did. But then also like working in the black community, doing my men's group, just picking up on different things and how guys, especially African-American men, move. And so I wanted to give African-American men the space to even in therapy. Um, if you need coaching, if you need wellness, we're going to tackle all of that in one in these 50 minute sessions. Whatever you need that a session, that's what we're going to address. And um, I have seen the fruits and benefits of that because I, I don't use traditional therapy techniques. I, I am, you know, my modalities are solution focused therapy, uh, cognitive behavior therapy, talk therapy, mindfulness. Um, those are kind of my modalities. But then, you know, I can blend different conversations around, you know, creativity, sports, you know, whatever we need to connect in order to achieve said issue that we're talking about or to take our mind and stress off of what's happening and what's going on in your life to bring you back to reality real quick, calm you down, and then to focus back in and go back in and hone in on the problem. So that's where I, you know, my modalities lie. And, you know, I got plenty of guys that's in the program, that's in the practice, I'm sorry, that, you know, it's their first time seeking out therapy or they've done it in the past and it didn't work or they've done it in the past and it's been with like a white professional, white therapist, and they didn't feel like they, they could connect or correlate with them and what they got going on. So they wanted to see a black male professional. And, um, you know, I knew that, you know, in this market from, you know, Richmond to North Virginia, there wasn't many black male therapists. And so I knew that I would be able to um, at least garner some attention, especially with my work with Goodfellas, that I should be able to, to, you know, get some things together. And so... You know, that's what I did. And so, you know, looking at that, that's why I did the setting it up and how I practice my, my therapy and working with my guys um, is set up the way it's set up. And my target audience um, looks at working with African-American men who are, you know, working class, um, who are professionals, 
career path, you know, students, you know, um, just that kind of population to help, you know, that needs some help along the way, dealing with mood, dealing with emotions, dealing with anger, dealing with like how to navigate white spaces, dealing with racism, dealing with the situation with George Floyd, you know, processing that. We've had those conversations about George Floyd and how it makes us feel as black men. There's nothing in the DSM four, I mean DSM five that can I can diagnose you with that. You know what I'm saying? Except maybe adjustment disorder or something like that, but it it's it just doesn't fit. And so me creating this practice was unique in how I you know, reach out and move to my men. And so thus me doing the private pay, attacking the population that I wanted to attack. Um, not attack, but like, you know, market to and focus in on. And so that's what I did. And um, I created a, my website page. I already had a website. I just added a new page in there for therapy. Made it short, sweet, and simple. You know, I had to create a, um, with the EHR, electronic health record. It was, you know, a bunch of platforms out there. You know, I ended up going with simple practice. And I went with simple practice because it was pretty easy to navigate, pretty easy to, um, you know, implement. All, all your intake forms are there. You can customize them the way you want to, put logos on them, you know, and it was, and I use simple practice also as a client with my therapist. So I was familiar with the system. So I knew how I worked and operated. And so I wanted something that would be user-friendly and simple for my clients as well. And, um, so yeah, that's what I did. And uh, I used some practice. I test run it. I did a test run on it in October, see if I liked it, and then I, you know, end up going ahead and um, you know, getting it done. And so um use simple practice. Let me go back. Um, I also would suggest, you know, establishing an LLC that's not in your name, that's in a, your a business name for your actual um pri- private practice. I already had an LLC established with my business uphold thirty one eight. So, you know, I just put it under that and then, um, you know, also setting up a bank, a bank account fund to help separate, you know, business calls, you know, private practice calls versus, you know, personal calls. So if you didn't do that just yet, you know, you need to go ahead and do that. Um, and so a lot of people kind of go back with the PLLC, the private, you know, stuff like that. I'm not too keen on it. I don't know if Virginia looks at that as that serious but you know mine is under the, my uphold 31 8 llc so and then if you're thinking about taking insurance do make sure that you have a physical location when you go to do the caqh to get paneled with insurance companies because the that caqh will not allow you to process that application if you don't have a physical address if you don't have a physical address where you're using um, office space and you're doing telehealth or virtual then you can get a virtual office so like a place like regency um who uh regis i'm sorry regis who does like different you know this those kind of um what is it sorry that's the uh, 35 regis that does the kind of co-working spaces they have virtual offices that you can have a virtual or physical address for your place of business that you can get your set up set up with CAQH. 
again, I went with a telehealth platform, so you you know you would need that more official. You didn't. I mean, you still would. I probably could have used a different address, but I think just having a virtual office and a physical address is more professional. And then people can look up your business. You want them to look up your private practice under that virtual office address versus your personal address. You feel what I'm saying? Um, and so, I, I cause I and I cause I end up going through the whole insurance process to get paneled before I said I'm not going to take insurance. Until I decided I wasn't going to take insurance. I'd already decided I was going to do a telehealth virtual platform. Um, and I just said I'm not going to do insurance and went with the self-pay. Understood my target audience, you know, said I was going to start here and go from there. And so, um, yeah, you want to have those things done and created as well to get to get squared away to separate your business from personal and stuff like that. And so, you know, all of these things cost, right? You know, you have, so I had the website for marketing. I had the website, you had the EHR. There's a monthly fee for the website, monthly fee for the EHR and the telehealth platform piece of that. Um, And then, you know, most people like to post on Psychology Today or any type of like, you know, other platforms to get yourself out there to black clients. A lot of people, you know, have difficulty sometimes getting Psychology Today, getting referrals. I don't. Um, I, I get plenty of referrals from psychology today. Um, and I don't know if that's cause of location because a lot of people are, you know, understand, know how to go to psychology today and find people. But, um, yeah, I get a lot of referrals from psychology today. So I, a good portion of my referrals to my clients now came from psychology today. Maybe one has come from, um, my website. So, you know, understanding all of that, getting your costs is always cost associated to psychology today. But if you didn't know, psychology today does offer telehealth platforms on there to see clients. So that thirty dollars a month, I think it goes up to like fifty, fifty or sixty, but you can see clients via telehealth at psychology today. So just keep that in mind as well if you're just trying to get something started and you just need a little more time. You setting up the EHR with simple practice allows for you to um, take your money and get paid for it, right? They take a fee off top to transfer your funds to your bank account. So you get hit with that, and then you have to do your own taxes going forward down the line due to a service-based entity. So that's pretty cool. You can set your EHR to pay out every week, every other week, monthly, or, you know, like I do every you know, every day, which ends up coming out like every two, three days for payouts. You know what I'm saying? Cause I like the constant flow of that income because bills fall in different places. Um, and you know, you want to make sure that this overhead is covered and, you know, doing what you need to do. So I want to tell you, man, those three months from October, cause I started this process in October, 2020 and officially launched in beginning of December 2020, like December 2020, first week. And I had, I had, um, and so I, I went back and forth, man. Once I got the EHR down, LLC, all of that stuff was already squared away. Got the EHR down, gonna go with it. And then slow walked everything. Slow walked the rollout of the therapy page. Slow walked the rollout of the psychology today page. You know what I'm saying? Made that launch. And then ended up launching everything on December 1st. 
trying to figure out my schedule was the hardest thing. How much was I going to, how many people was I going to see? What was my max? What was my number? Was I going to see people on the weekends? How was I going to see people on the weekends? How was I going to see people after work? Because, you know, I'm doing this part-time private practice. Like, what am I going to, when am I going to do? Am I going to do Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday? Am I going to do three days a week, four days a week? What are my time slots going to be? And me and my, my therapist, I mean, I talked to my therapist about this for the longest time about just being scared of the timing. What if it doesn't work? Like, how do I go about like the introduction of these pieces? And, you know, you know, how, what does it start like? What does it look like? Oh, I'm out there now. How do I manage how, uh, you know, bolster all of this? I'm going to tell you something, man. Um, Once I figured out, once again, I went back to my wife. I asked her what would be beneficial in regards to time spent, you know, working on this private practice during the week that's not going to take away from, you know what I'm saying, family time or whatever time, you know, that's needed, me and her time, personal time. And I told her what I was looking at. I was looking at Tuesdays, Wednesdays, Thursdays, 6 to 8, maybe 6 to 9. I mean, and, and, and that's it. So then, you know, she agreed. Everything worked out. Oh, I had a colleague, too, that helped me, the older colleague that helped me, a spiritual colleague that helped me kind of put all this together, too. So I had, like, my wife, the spiritual colleague, and my therapist, and my other colleagues, like, just pouring, 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 man. So shout out to them. But I worked with my spiritual colleague for a minute because she saw that it was deeper than just set up a private practice, you know what I'm saying? And, um, help me work through those differences. And then, you know, my therapist was like, you know, you might just have to thug it out for a couple months, see how it works. And then you kind of create from there. I knew I was thinking, started at this point, started to think about full-time private practice at this point. Now I'm kind of back and forth with that every, every so often, but I started thinking about full-time private practice and I was like, you know, there's a, there's a time stamp of I want to go full-time with this thing. And I said, my goal is I never want to do Mondays or Fridays because I want Mondays to be admin time, rest time, and then Fridays open to just, you know, if I got to travel, leave somewhere for something, then I can just leave Fridays while having sessions. So I ended up deciding on Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday. Six to nine. And that's when my time slots were. And at first, I didn't have an eight o'clock on Thursday because I had stuff going on, but ended up going for eight o'clock. Now, so I got my target population, my target audience, my, you know, my self pay rate, which I went back and forth. I was lowballing for a little bit at 75. Now I'm at a, you know, 100 per session. Um, whereas some people will still say I'm too low. You know, some people say I'm too high. And it's a crazy balance. <laughs> it's like, I'm too low or I'm too high. I'm too high, but I'm too low. And I'm like, you know, my people paying it and, and they're cool with that. That's cool. So, um, you know, so that, that was that was the thing. And so I'm at that point when I made that decision. Once I figured out what my time slots were, and what I was not going to give up, because I, I thought about doing Saturdays. I know a lot of people that do Saturdays. I know a lot of people that do Saturdays just on Sundays. I couldn't 
afford to give up my Saturdays because I did have the Goodfellas men's group on Saturdays at the end of the month. So if I take up another Saturday, that was going to be only two Saturdays for myself, to my family, to everything else. Wasn't going to work. So I decided against Saturday. And I don't do anything on Sundays besides, you know, edit podcasts and get ready for the week and go to church. So once I decided that, and that's what this it was like, okay, then we're going to go ahead and launch. So we go ahead and launch. And I am still shaking in my boots. Um, again, going back to the original story, I didn't want to be in prior practice. I just wanted to go macro. And um, I get my first client. Like maybe like a day or so after launching, um, and um, get another client, then get a third client, and I'm just like, oh snap! Like it's it's it's, it's happening, and you know, their first sessions, man, were touch and go, trying to establish the the scope of what this practice is, and you know, God bless my clients, man, for taking a risk on me, <laughs> you know what I'm saying, and being there with this challenge and, you know, allowing me to grow through our process with that, you know what I'm saying, because if not, then I'll be, you know, whatever. thing about this private practice thing is that you learn quick and you learn on the fly, but you get so many opportunities to fix, to work, to, oh, let's not do this, or let's do that, or let me add this, or let me add that. Like, I messed up and simply, like, forgot about our emergency contact form. You know what I'm saying? I had it right there in, in simple practice, but just forgot about um, forgot about doing it. And, you know, I talked to a colleague, and they're like, did you add that? I was like, oh, snap, let me add that in there. Add that in there. Now, the biggest piece of this, right, is, is people talk about, like, you know, of course, my biggest fear was, like, process. How does the therapy flow? It's virtual. This is, looks crazy. You know what I'm saying? This is different than assessments, crisis. This is different than case management. You know what I'm saying? Um, what does it look like? And you get in the habit of kind of just being so in, you know, in an agency and, and following that protocol or being micromanaged that you forget that this is what you make it. So however you make it, that's what you make it. That's your practice. And, of course, you got your ethical standards and your clinical guidelines that you do, but, you know, everybody's different, but there's just, this is you, you know. So, again, working with black men, man, I got to make sure it's it's comfortable that they understand it, not throwing out so much clinical jargon, making it comfortable for them in a telehealth setting because they came to me for a reason. You feel what I'm saying? And, um, again, there were some touch-and-go situations where, man, I didn't know what was going on. I didn't know what I was doing. But then you started getting to a flow. Things start to happen. And by the time I got to Christmas, I felt in a good – I was in a good place, comfort-wise, with everything. Um, And my flow, my introductions, my tasks, how we do therapy sessions, how we maneuver it, you know, things of that nature. Now, people – there's a big conversation going on between, you know, with how you do billing. And I know from an insurance standpoint, you know, you do the session, you get the copay, you do the session, and then um, then you bill insurance and you get your, you know, whatever your actual reimbursable rate is going to be, get that back in the two-week, two, three-week span, whatever. 
I know for me, my therapist, when he charged my insurance, um, you know, it it we charged at the end of session. So I, I you know, I built my lot of my practice off of how I was introduced to telehealth and private practice as a client. That's how I built my built my actual practice off. So I think it's very important for you to not just see a therapist for your own self and make sure that you're being a great therapist for everybody else, but also learning how things work from a client perspective while using these systems. You feel what I'm saying? And um, <clears throat> so, I, you know, he took my, he usually takes my card after my session. Some people, you know, do card beforehand. Some people get people to pay prior to coming in. Um, you know, I established in the first session before we even start, listen, are you comfortable with the hundred dollar session rate? If not, we can work something out. Is it okay if I bill your card after each session? That's the first thing we talk about. Um, mainly after I do my introduction of who I am, what I do, get them comfortable with me, throw my experience out there, make sure that, you know, they know who they, they're talking to somebody that, that knows something. Then we talk about that. Once we get that out the way, then we can work. And I'm very adamant and clear about that up front. I try to do it in my emails or phone consultations beforehand so it wasn't going to be no issue. But sometimes it doesn't get to that. Sometimes it's not as, I don't know, sometimes it's not as clear as what the session rates are. So, yeah, first five, ten minutes of session, yo, hey, are you okay with $100 a session? If not, what can we work out? Is it okay if I bill your card? And I, I'm, I'm very adamant on that because then that gives, then we get the, the, the hard part out the window. That's the hard part, getting that finance stuff out the window. And then we can start doing the stuff on the regular work. So, some people bill before session, some people bill after um, some people have horror stories, you know, I've been blessed to just, you know, be able to build afterwards and everybody's straight. Um, you know, I'm sure that there'll be times where that comes up, you know, and I'll just handle it appropriately, but yeah, I mean, it just, that's, that's just how I do my, my stuff. And, um, you know, it, it's, it has, um, it has went well for me in that aspect because I've been able to build that rapport with my guys. They don't have to worry about it. You know, I get my money. Um, everybody's everybody's cool. Everybody works. Everybody everybody's needs are being met from a therapist standpoint, from a client standpoint, you know. And um but still keeping that that door open. Like, you know, if you, you can't afford it or it's not gonna work this session, let me know. We can work something out. I'm very upfront with that. Um, not set firm on this hundred dollars a session, like you know what I'm saying. It's up to me, and if I can finagle, uh, if I can finagle, I almost said, <laughs> if I can finagle some stuff out, I would offer free therapy sessions. I would. That's just being truthfully honest with you, and I'm working on it. I'm working on figuring out how to how that goes. Um, just gotta put some other things in motion. But, you know, as, as it stands, like, this is my rate, and, and this is what I charge. And so you play that game, that back and forth of just being okay with charging this rate. 
being okay with charging a amount that kind of respects the work that you put in um, and respects that who you are in this actual field um, and your expertise and your licensure, you know what I'm saying? All that stuff costs money. A lot of people don't understand, man. It's like that's, you know, it's 60-something thousand dollars for this master's degree, another $5,000, you know, so for, you know, this licensure, depending on if you get in supervision, X, Y, and Z, like it's five, it was extra $5,000 for me. You know, close to nine hundred just for to take the test. You feel what I'm saying? So I gotta recoup somehow. You feel what I'm saying? Um, and what better way to do kind of recoup, but to work with my community and work with the population that I want to work with, you know, that can, you know, make that happen. And I mean again, it's pros and cons to that. You feel what I'm saying? Um don't and don't get me wrong, like I do you know, I have partnered, contracted with two two entities, two agencies to help provide access for therapy to um, those who are coming out of jail and, um, you know, negotiated rate with that. And then those who have Medicaid or low income, um, I have a contract position with that, another agency to do that work. So I'm, I'm hitting all my bases. I'm hitting my you know, my, my population that I'm working with, my professionals, working class folks, <clears throat> you know, students, grad students, you know, creators, X, Y, and Z. Then I'm hitting my um my guys who are coming out of jail who need a couple, you know, brief solution-focused therapy to get them squared away. And then I'm hitting another folks who need, who have, you know, particularly have Medicaid, um, who need therapy. And then I have Goodfellas, which is completely free. <laughs> completely free So if you can't Get in with where you fit in With all that There's always good fellas You feel what I'm saying That's monthly These are the services That I've offered And I've created um, In order to At least Tap into Every component Of the community That I can That I physically can That I physically have Time for Time to do And that time It gets limited So Again, you know, we by Christmas, you know, we was up and running, was moving. Then I started getting more clients. Then I started getting a lot of calls and emails and doing a lot of cons- consultations, trying to respond back. And then it just started to explode, right? A lot of create, a lot of weird emails at times. Rates too high, rates too low. Do you take insurance? Um, some of us not that wasn't crazy. But some other stuff that came in that was just weird, bro. Like I, <clears throat> I don't, I don't know. A lot of requests for teenagers and kids. A lot of requests for teenagers and kids, man. Um, I'm not there just yet, y'all. I'm not there just yet. Um, maybe sometime soon, sometime in the near future, I may start working with teenagers at some point. But right now, I want to work with men, young adult, African American men, young adults, stuff like that. Um, although I'm not mutually exclusive to just African American men. You feel what I'm saying? You know, I, I do work with other populations. That's just my spe- specifically who I choose and want to work with. Um, and I feel is best best fit for the practice and what I'm trying to uh, serve and solve the need from what I'm seeing. Um, so, yeah, a lot, of, a lot of calls and referrals for that. A lot of referrals for marriage counseling. I don't do marriage counseling, y'all. I don't do marriage counseling. I just not my, not my niche, not my, 
my cup of tea at this current moment. Um, it's a lot of work. Um, but you know, I do a lot of um. Yeah, I, yeah, it's just nah. So, I I do know that a lot of folks are in need of some type of relationship type stuff. So, you know, I could do that on an individual basis, but not so much as a um couples. And so these last couple of months have been you know busy. Clients have been you know coming in. I actually had stopped because then you have to look at what's your number. A lot of therapists are seeing a lot of lot of clients a week, man. And I question the quality of their their therapy or their therapeutic practice because I just know how much it takes to see eight to ten people a week. Like and then folks are like in the forties and the fifties and the sixties. And I just loathe at the idea of it. But again, I'm also working full time and doing this thing part time. And so, um, you know, my cap, I wanted to do ten guys a week, but ten guys a week I only got nine slots. So, you know, I said, Well, I'll cap it at eight. You know, and I have a slot, I have one slot dedicated to the contracted no, I have two slots dedicated to the contracted partner agencies I do have. So that's about two slots, and then I have six on my, you know, six for my caseload. But I ended up with like, I want to say seven, six or seven guys, and then one with my contracted agency, and um, that's all I could take. That's all I could take, man. And I had to shut it down. And and at the point in time when I shut it, like I said, I wasn't taking no more in clients. Like this was at the peak of getting about one to three, three to four referrals a week you know, for therapy. Um, and I was like, I just can't take, I can't take no more. I have no, I have no more time in my schedule to fit in anybody. And like, I hate it. That's the kind of the downside of it. I hate turning people away from therapy. I hate the fact that I am finally somebody that they can relate to or they, that looks like them and I can't see them. And I think sometimes with therapists, we get caught up in that because we want to help everybody. Oh, well, let me go ahead and slide this. Oh, maybe I can do this. And then that's how we get burnt out so easy. And that took a lot of me to 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 say, I just want to cap it here at eight folks. But I was very intentional and adamant when I first started the private practice that I would not overwork myself to the point that I would overbook myself. I was very adamant about that. And I wanted to slow walk this thing to see where it would go and where it would take me and what the process would look like. So let me slow walk with these few guys, these few people, and see what it entails. See what we can make out of it. And then we look at expanding. Then we look at, okay, well, maybe I do need to take insurance so that I can go full-time. Maybe, or we can build a full-time, you know, private pay. Maybe we do something else to kind of get that, that ball rolling you know, all these different things, man, but I really wanted to slow walk this thing. And I think, you know, I ended up capping it at that, that eight and that has been manageable for me. And that has allowed my guys to kind of freely pick between those certain time slots. Um, but also like there's some that's like, you know, strictly to that certain time slot each week and it allows them to be, you know, you know, you know, 
able to move and maneuver whatever they need to do to make sure they make their actual um, sessions. I haven't only given out one diagnosis, and that was because I was with a contract, the contractor agency that needs the diagnosis. That's the only diagnosis I've given out. But other than that, I haven't given out no diagnosis yet. And, um, you know, at this point in time, you typically, at this point, usually would, but a lot of my guys don't have a diagnosis to give out. They don't meet the criteria. And I'm not going to give a diagnosis if I don't have to. And that's why I also tell them up front, too. It, I'm not going to diagnose you just a bill. That's not doesn't make sense to me. If you got a diagnosis, then yeah, if you meet those criteria. But if you don't meet that criteria, what am I giving you a diagnosis for? So, you know, you know that has been kind of cool in that aspect of knowing that some of my theory and hypothesis is correct that we don't all meet the criteria for a mental a mental diagnosis that some of this is good portion of this is mental health learning how to navigate those symptoms of mental health and how to address and how to unfold it how to understand conflict resolution how to communicate more effectively how to express emotions effectively how to process uh, your self-esteem, self-confidence, your self-worth, you know what I'm saying, how to work with difficult family members, how to manage, you know, different career paths and, you know, manage how to manage being black in America, being a black man in America. How do you manage that? And again, like I said earlier, it doesn't have a diagnosis for that. So. Yeah, so that has been private practice, man, it's been very rewarding. It's 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 hard it's hard work because you know I was I was scared to death initially going in now I got the hang of it now I move and you know everything works well with telehealth and um you know building is streamlined and smooth you know um everything is automatic from the billing standpoint from my overhead my overhead is low because it's virtual everything works well and um everything is beneficial do I see myself doing this long term um I'm not sure. I'm not sure. Um, there's some. There's still that macro social work in, inside of me that wants to do this work. Um, and of course, I will continue to do my practice until you know. What I'm saying my clients are at a place where they can um, do their own thing. But it's just you still you still see the environmental factors at play. You still see the environmental factors at play. And um, you see the access, the access, and you see the oppression, and you see the years of oppression, and how that has reared its head on us as African Americans, but also as African American men. So those those themes continue to rise and continue to come in in, in practice. But I but I will never negate the the gifts and talent of doing this work and helping these guys, you know, helping these people. Um, with their the stuff that they got going on, because by me helping them, you know what I'm saying, helps unlock other folks to get therapy, helps unlock other people to um to get well, you know, helps um by them being well, helps them affect more change to everybody else. So I'll never negate that possibility. I'll never negate that 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 kind of um reward um in regards to opening up my private practice and working with the guys that I do. 
And um and so yeah, it's just it just comes to that, man. But it's it's a journey. It's a journey. It's not for the faint hearted. Um, but I would say, man, if you want to start this private practice journey, start small. You know, but if you've been doing it too, you've been doing outpatient therapy, it's a different story. I haven't been doing outpatient therapy, so I had to start small. If you're used to doing outpatient therapy, you know, then do your thing. But I still would start small and, you know, build it out. So lastly, before we end, I think I've hit on everything I want to hit on. If you got questions, hit me up. You know, start if you want to start private practice, identify your target audience. What's your age group? What's your population you want to work with? Um, be as specific as possible and, and, and market to them, you know, and, 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 and start from there. Still be open to everybody else, but you know what I'm saying? If you have a target population, target audience, it's easier to figure out where you want to go with your private practice. Set up your LLC. LLC should be in a different um, business entity name so that you can separate your business from your business from your um, personal taxes and personal um, income and information. Um, and then, you know, get a tax advisor as well to help you with that um, to to make sure that you're doing everything you need to do to. Um Figure out what type of uh, practice, EHR, electronic health record you want to work with. There's tons of out there. I like simple practice. If you need a code for simple practice and you want to try it out, um, email me. Um, I can get that to you. I also like therapy notes. Therapy notes is pretty. I'm going to tell you why I like therapy notes. Therapy notes is so polished to the point that you can't fail in writing notes. You can't fail. That is a like in comparison to simple practice. Simple practice, you got a little bit more autonomy, a little bit more openness to write notes and how you write notes and how you do it. But when I tell you, therapy notes put that thing together to the point where you you can't miss, you can't fail, you can't not miss out on what you're talking about. And I love that. I love it. I just love it the way it's fact. So. Check both of them out. They got both free trials that you can t- test them out. But I like therapy notes in regards to their note-taking. I like simple practice for their ease and feasibility as far as user face, user interface, especially for clients. Figure out your, simple, simple, like figure out your electronic health record. Um, Sorry, go back. When you get your LLC, you want to make sure you get a bank account so you can deposit funds into that because you're going to need a bank account with simple practice or with therapy notes to get your payouts for your actual, um, for your action, if you're doing self-pay or you're getting insurance, you know, you want to make sure you have a bank account separated from your personal stuff. Um, identify target audience, identify what days a week you want to do this. How many hours do you want to dedicate to seeing clients and also when taking into account notes, writing notes, administration, um, phone consultation, emails, responding to emails, referrals, things like that much. That takes time. I was dedicating like an hour or two on Fridays to just returning emails and phone calls. Or an hour or two on, you know, on um, you know, weekends, you know what I'm saying? Cuz people want to talk, people want to learn, people especially my guys. Like I was working with African American men, so they just a lot of guys had never even sought out therapy, never knew anything about therapists, but saw a black man was like, "Let me just see and see what's going on, and sometimes I messed up with referrals myself because I wasn't as you know intriguing. I think to do so, um, you know, but it, it, it the consult game too is is um, beneficial to how you you know get clients to be comfortable enough to come and see you. 
So, you know, you got to figure out how long you want to do that, 15, 30 minutes, 45 minutes. Sometimes you got to be on the phone for a while to make them comfortable to seek therapy. Make sure. So, you know, yeah, What? how many hours a week do you want to work? What does that look like? And, you know, tap into, like, what, you know, note-taking and consultation, email, admin type stuff. You want to build that in as well. Then are you going to take insurance or are you going to do private pay? You know, and what's insurance? Then you can figure out what insurance you want to get panel with. I think it's something out there that can tell you where, what type of insurance is out there in your area that is most important or who has the most of it. You want to go with the one that has the most, but sometimes, like sometimes, the insurance panels won't won't panel with you because it's too many providers in the area. So you got to look at that as well. Private pay, what which private pay scale do you want to work? Do you do private pay? Do you do a sliding scale based upon somebody's income? You know, are you going to do a sliding scale? I don't do a sliding scale personally, but if you tell me you want to do therapy, you can afford it, well, you can't afford it and you want to, you know, you want to negotiate a rate, I'm cool with that too. You know what I'm saying? Um, so that's that. Um, you know, what's your rate? And how I determined my self-pay rate was, you know, I had my influences, but I looked at the area from Richmond to Northern Virginia, what therapists were charging. And it ranged from like 60 to like 200. So I was like, okay, well, I'll go right at 100. <laughs> so it's not too much, not too little. And I knew $100 um, is... And how I got to that point, even though I, I do provide my insurance to my, my therapist, I had to ask myself, would I pay $100 for therapy? And I said, I could commit to $100 because I see my therapist. I was doing every two weeks, but now I do it every three weeks. So I told myself, I if I need, if I really, if I really had to, I would commit, I could commit to doing therapy twice a month at $100 a session. And I was like, that is perfect for me. I, if I can do that, then I would do that. You feel what I'm saying? Then, you know, but at the point in time, then if it came every three weeks, every three weeks, once, once a month at 100 a session, I can commit to giving $100 to, for therapy. You feel what I'm saying? And that goes into your target audience. That goes into, like, you know what I'm saying, what's the, the income rates around the area. I don't suggest you doing, like, having high self-pay rates if you're working with folks who are like, who have little to no income, like that's not going to work. You feel what I'm saying? You're going to have to probably take Medicaid, you know what I'm saying? You know, so, or whatever private entity is around. So you have to research all of that. Um, or you contract with an agency who takes Medicaid. If you don't feel that comfortable doing that contract with an agency that takes Medicaid or takes private insurance and you work that way. That's it's it's multiple ways to work this thing, to cover your bases. You feel what I'm saying? I don't, I personally don't feel like really dealing with Medicaid, myself personally. So, I'll contract with an agency that works with Medicaid. Let them do the billing. I just do the therapy and the notes and keep moving. You know. So um, yeah. You know, same thing with and I would possibly partner for private entity that takes private insurance. Let them do the billing. I do the notes. I'm cool. You know what I'm saying? It's, it's, it's ways to do it. So, yeah, establish that. And then, you know, set up your, 
your process. What does that look like as far as intake and what the first session looks like? What's the expectations and what's the expectations of you as a client, as a therapist, and what's the expectations of the client, you know, and, and what to expect from therapy, man. And you kind of just go with it like that and just hit the ground running. And then a lot of stuff you're going to learn on the fly, like anything new, you know. So I think that's everything I, I got for everybody that wants to to figure that out and wants to look into private practice. That has been my experience. I do enjoy private practice. I really do. I really do. And I enjoy the fact that I can make it what my make it my own. And I get to let my clients make it their own too. That's very important for me. If you want to talk about this and we can talk about that. If you want to talk about whatever, basketball, you know, football, like, you know, if you want to talk about LeBron, like we can talk about it here in, in session. We're also going to do work with as far as what you're dealing with. We're also going to bring it back to why. So we're going to figure out a way to bring LeBron back to what's going on. But it's this space for you. You make it how you want to and you create it. And I think that's the kind of the cool benefits of the private pay sometimes is I can create how I want to create it and give it don't really box in or put cuffs on my guys and their mental. You feel what I'm saying? Whatever they got going on, we'll get there. Because I've noticed working with African-American men, we could be talking about sports cars or whatever, just something random, and then still end up around talking about stress, life issues, stuff like that. And I really think that is our population. That is our population that does that. Nobody else, I don't think. Because we don't know how to directly express our emotions. Because for so many years, we we were told not to. And to shake it off or just suck it up. Or that's just life. You deal with it. You black. You're a black man in America. What you gonna do? And we create these different um, entities, barriers in order to mask it or to deal with it in an unhealthy manner or in a roundabout manner or in a jokingly manner or in a hobby or vice manner to to mask it, to address it. Um, But it always comes back full circle. You know, so... That's how I look at it, man. That's how I approach it, and I think that's very unique in uh, in in our ways. So listen, y'all make sure y'all go like, share, and subscribe to the podcast. Um, Apple, we on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Anchor, iHeartRadio. Make sure y'all subscribe. You get the drop when it drop. Um, like, share, and comment. Leave some dur- leave some comments. I almost said darn. Y'all didn't mean to say that, but leave some um leave leave ratings. On our podcast, so we can shoot this podcast up to the top, top health and wellness podcast as well. Um, if you guys have questions, um, please feel free to DM me um, about private practice and my experience so far. If you guys want to try simple practice and test it out, I do have mad codes, so I can send that to you in the email and get that to you as well. Um, and I hope I hit on everything that I need to hit on with this episode. I feel like I'm forgetting something, but if not, we will um, 
we will you know address it at some point but this concludes the social work career series i thank you guys for listening and and just you know supporting me with that you know so we'll jump to our last episode our finale season finale and then we'll go from there y'all be easy have a safe week make sure y'all come to the the webinar this this week on wednesday and then i'll talk to y'all